You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. As an infant in India, Minda Dentler contracted polio, resulting in the paralysis of her legs. As a young adult, she discovered the sport of hand cycling. She would become the first female wheelchair athlete to complete the Ironman World Championship and would be nominated for an ESPN SP award. Minda is also known for her popular TED Talk and is now the author of a new children's book, The Girl Who Figured It Out. Let's chat with her. So, Minda, I thought we'd start by just talking a little bit about your story. And for those that that aren't familiar, um, you contracted polio uh, in your native and home village of India. Um, how old were you when uh, with when you received that diagnosis? Yeah, sure. Well, first, I want to say thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Um, but yes, uh, my story begins in India. Um, I was born actually in 1978. Um, I contracted polio as a baby, probably around six months old, and it's because I didn't have access to the vaccine, and so my legs became paralyzed from the hips down. Mm -hmm. Um, My birth mother, who I have been told was very poor, she realized that she couldn't take care of me, and so she left me at an orphanage. And so about three and a half years later, I was adopted by an American family and I then moved to Spokane, Washington, um, where I was able to get some medical care so I could eventually walk with leg braces and crutches. And how long um, did it take you to to learn to walk uh, with those uh, assistive devices? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I it, I had a few surgeries, like a hip and ankle surgery to sort of like straighten me out. My parents said that when I came, my legs were sort of like stuck in the seated position. And so um, it took a few iterations and months um, in and out of hospitals. But once I was able to get fitted for leg braces and crutches, um, they said I was really keen on learning. So I'm sure it took um, not a lot of time, but... um, I'm not exactly sure how long it took, but I know by age five, I was finally walking. You were eager. You were eager to take that, take that on and take that challenge on. (laughs) Yes. And it won't be your first challenge that you took on. I know that for sure. (laughs) That's true. Well, I have, I have um, two brothers and a sister. And so I think just being around them, it really motivated me to want to not only like be like them, but be able to do stuff that they could do too. Yeah, as a kid, you just wanted the opportunity to be a kid, right? And to be active and to participate in all kinds of recreation or activities or events. Yeah. And and did sports play a a role at that point in time or as as a as a person growing up, were you active in like either formal or informal recreational activities? No, but I wish I was. I um it's it's funny, my family is super athletic. And, um, like my parents, they did some running and walking. My, my one brother was a runner. My sister was a runner and my other brother played tennis. And, Mm. um, for the longest time, 
I was always sitting on the sidelines and I remember vividly, like there was this race called Bloomsday. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like Mm. one of, it used to be in that time, like a really large um, running race held in Spokane, Washington. And many years I would like volunteer on the sidelines because my, the rest of my family was participating and I was handing out water, but I never thought that I could be you know, running just like they were. And it wasn't until like fast forward, you know, you know, till I was age 28 after Mm -hmm. having moved to New York City after I graduated from college. Um, And I was introduced to an organization called Achilles. And Mm -hmm. Achilles is a sporting club that teaches people to, at the time, run. And um, the founder, I remember the first day I was in Central Park the founder loaned me his hand cycle and um, it was the first time that like I felt the wind in my hair, like I could go fast in my bike and I was immediately hooked. And then it was like I was able to transition from being that person on the sidelines to to being in the in the game or on the court. Here I was now an athlete and that's how I started. I'm doing a few marathons and then I just took off from there. And so what was it like that first time that you, you got the experience being an athlete? What was, what were you thinking? What were you feeling as a, as, as just a, an individual and as a person? Um, actually the, the, the first time literally when I was, um, loaned this hand cycle, there was a volunteer, her name was Annie and she was with me. And, um, she was also using hand cycle with me. And then I remember like, you know, going like the first hundred yards and then I just started like picking it up. But I, I she, like, I didn't know about like how to break. And so oh. <laughs> there was like a dog that like started running towards us. And I was like, Annie, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so I like, I didn't know how to break at that point. And so I ended up like kind of like shifting the hands like a little bit quickly. And then like I tipped over but I just started laughing so hard because I was like, of course, like, you know, the first time I do something, I mean, that's just the way it is. You just like, you don't think about everything once you get on it. But I was just so excited, I think. And just to feel like that I could just go fast. And I don't even know what fast was back then, but it just was so amazing. And um, I was encouraged to 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 do a race, and and that gave me like that first small goal that I could work towards. Mm. And going back to sitting on, you know, being on the sidelines. Do you think being on the sidelines was self-imposed by you, imposed by you know uh, the environment that you're involved in, like family and friends, which often is it, it can can be the uh, the you know kind of the limiting factor, or do you think the the sitting on the sidelines was 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 imposed by society? That's a really good question. I think hmm, I don't think it's self imposed, mm-hmm. um, but I can imagine that I just didn't didn't know or have access to sports. Like I didn't mm-hmm. see anyone doing things like back then. Obviously. We didn't have social media. I know I wasn't looking at pictures of right. of athletes, um, you know, who had disabilities, who who were doing cool things. Um, it wasn't until later that someone 
introduced me to an organization that I began to realize, oh, that can be possible for me. And that's where I met other disabled athletes who were also like, you know, running and competing. And that is such a powerful influence when you get to see and hear about other people who kind of look like you or have similar disabilities, being able to conquer and achieve in in the areas of athletics, which is something that I really wanted to do. Like that is super inspiring. Yeah. And so, you know, as you mentioned, it's about access, but it's also just about awareness. And so so representation is critical and we've come a long way from when, well, probably when you and I were growing up, but we're still not fully there yet. So, so, so maybe it was self-imposed, but not, not intentionally. It was almost like a implicit or, or, you know, kind of unintentional um, imposement because you just didn't know. Yes, exactly. I just didn't know. That's, that's right. And so from that first time that you were in a hand cycle, um, you obviously said you got, you kind of got the bug, you got the interest and the desire to do it. Um, like anything you learned how to break you learned the mechanics and the techniques what made you want to kind of take it on a on a larger scale and and not just you know not just go and and stroll in the park for fun but but to do some what i would consider and a lot of people would consider some some kind of uh, crazy crazy ideas and things to, to accomplish um well i mean i started small so you know at the at the beginning i was um using my hand cycle and I was doing marathons. But a couple of years later, I had, I was at the finish line of the New York City triathlon and I saw one of my friends who was also um, disabled using a wheelchair across the finish line. And I was so excited for him. And then it just got the wheels turning in my own head to be like, oh, I want to do a triathlon too. But it's really funny because I didn't know how to swim. I had only been hand cycling and I didn't have a racing wheelchair. So literally like, and I was also in grad school at the time. So um, I promised myself, okay, once I was done with grad school, I was going to sign up for the race. I also signed up for swimming lessons. (laughs) I uh, was able to get a racing chair through another disability organization and I learned how to push it. And then within six months, I was able to complete the New York City Triathlon. And it's funny, I just looked up my time today, took me four hours and 35 minutes to complete an Olympic distance triathlon. And I mean, honestly, just looking back and looking at the pictures, like I was a bit of a mess, but I was just so determined. And I remember crossing that finish line going, you know, that was hard, but I was excited. Like I wanted, I wanted to do more or at least get a better time. And I think that mm. that really like jumpstarted my my idea to to do triathlons. Mm. And this is around age 30. And then um I joined a triathlon club. Um mm. they were all able-bodied athletes. And um, you know, I was a swimming alongside them in the pool. And then I would see them, you know, in Central Park, you know, on their bikes and running. But 
that really made me think like, oh, wow, these people are doing longer distance triathlons. But I wasn't able to connect the dots thinking like it could be me too until I met another athlete with a disability. And his name is Jason Fowler. Hmm. And I met him at a camp for um, athletes with disabilities for triathlon. And I remember him telling me he was like an Ironman world champion. And I, and I just was like, really? They have that? And he, like, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but him just telling me the story of his experience made me really excited. And it was almost like he had, you know, like put a bug in my ear to like try to go after Kona one day. And so, you know, for the next four years, I ramped up my training. I signed up for longer distance triathlons. I I'm working, I started working with the coach. I I did a lot of training. I did some half Ironmans and I found myself on the first starting line of an Ironman in 2012. I decided that I was going to do the Ironman Louisville and I finished it. It took me a long time um, mm-hmm. to do it. Um, but I just wanted to make sure or understand what it felt like to do an Ironman, knowing that I had actually qualified for the Ironman World Championship, which was six weeks later. Um, and so in 2012, six weeks after my Ironman in uh, Kentucky, I found myself at the starting line of the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. And for those that, that may not be familiar with the Ironman World Championships and what that entails, I know Kona has an amazing event and um, yes. and completing it is an amazing feat. So what is the uh, Kona Ironman? Yeah, so the Kona Ironman is uh, actually the Ironman, maybe I should back up. It was uh, a sport that started in 1978. Um, it was started by... John and Judy Collins, um, they created a challenge um, to race with other endurance athletes. And Mm -hmm. it was like, hey, they're going to swim 2.4 miles. They're going to bike 112 miles and then run 26.2 miles afterwards, which was um, a marathon. And then that winner would earn the title of Ironman. And then um, by 1981, they moved it to Kona, where it is now, and it mm-hmm. evolved into this like championship, Ironman World Championship, where where athletes um, qualify in different races around the world in different categories, like age group, and there's a hand cycle category for us. But what's unique about this race is that like people learned a lot about it by watching the ABC wide world of sports. I don't know. I mean, I remember watching it when I was a kid with my dad on the couch and this race is really known for its grueling conditions. Um, Mm -hmm. obviously the length is 140.6 miles, Mm -hmm. um, but the TV coverage as well. And this is considered one of the most challenging single day endurance race events in the world. So that's a little bit of history on the Ironman. Um, but yeah, like the Ironman in Kona, Hawaii is, is definitely challenging and a lot more. And Minda, I know you that you were the first female wheelchair athlete to complete it. Did you know that at the time? I mean, did you know that this was going to be new territory? Yes. 
I did. Um, so I, I, I started the race in 2012 and no female wheelchair athlete had ever completed the course before me, mainly because they have these, um, inter inter race time, um, cutoffs. So for example, um, you have to swim the 2.4 miles under two hours and 20 minutes, and then you have to complete the swim and bike under 10 and a half hours. And then um, the run, you know, all under, uh, oh my gosh, this is 16 or 17 hours. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but the biggest issue for me as a wheelchair athlete is making that time cutoff with um, doing the swim and the bike under 10 and a half hours. Mm. And I knew that that um, was the issue. And I had talked to other athletes who had attempted the race before too. And I ended up not making it my first time in Kona. I got to mile 60 on the bike. It's like a 15 mile hill up to town called Javi. And the race officials like told me I had to stop because I wasn't going fast enough and I wasn't going to make the time cut off. And so they took my chip off and then that was that. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was really heartbreaking. Right. But it just gave me that motivation to say, okay, you know, this time I'm going to commit hundred percent and try to go after it again. And so for me to, to go after it, I knew I was up against history, right? No female wheelchair athlete had ever done it. And I had to figure out like, how could I save time so I can make that, that second cutoff. And so it was like a whole nine months of full focus in that mm -hmm. attempt, right? So um, my husband was really critical. Like, it was really funny. Like, he created like a calculator on um, like basically saying, okay, this is the time I need to get, you know, out of the swim and with the transition time. And then like, this is the average speeds that I need to have on like different aspects of the bike course in order for me to ensure that I can make that cutoff time. So like we had done the math, I did a lot of training like outdoors. I had friends and family like ride with me because it's really dangerous to ride outside in a hand cycle. Mm -hmm. um, is, I yes. went open water swimming every weekend. Um, like we drove two hours each way to do it. Like we were so like honed in on this one goal and you no, know, I was working full time. So it was my husband, but yeah. like, we just focused on like all of our extra, like time, energy, like mental space was focused on like trying to, to, to figure out this puzzle to get it done. Um, so by the time I had like, I guess, like, made it to the start line again. I just felt like, you no, know, I knew I could do it. I had done everything I could. Mm -hmm. And I was just excited, you know, to see what I could do on race day. And and there were points in the race and where I felt like, wow, like, <laughs> it's going to be, like, this is going to be really difficult. And But I just had to continue to remind myself, like, you know, I, I, they were going to have to pull me off that course because I was just going to put every ounce of what I had in making that cutoff time. And when I did, it was like, uh, I was just like, 
I guess relieved, but then I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I have to do a marathon after that in the racing wheelchair. But my friends and family were out there cheering for me. And by the time, like I was, you know, around, I guess the last 15 miles on the run, I knew I was going to get it done. And I started thinking, oh my gosh, this is real. This is happening. And and it was just so surreal, like making that last turn and seeing all the crowds in front of me and like looking at the finish line. And, and then it was like a realization of a dream that I had had when I finally crossed that finish line. I mean, it was 14 hours and 39 minutes, but um, to this day, I just am so like grateful for all the people that had helped me to get to that place but also I was just so proud of myself for for finally like getting it done yeah I mean obviously it was an amazing feat and a historical moment so awesome and kudos to you and and I know um uh, how is sports still playing an active role in your life uh you know even today yeah so I am still a triathlete I've been a triathlete now for 16 years I have done like 40 plus races. Um, I've completed four Ironman triathlons, including um, Challenge Roth, which is a really famous race in Europe. Um, Was that last year? Two years ago, I finished. The personal challenge was to complete a half Ironman on each continent. So I finished it off in Sydney two years ago. And now I focus on doing like one race a year. I think... um, it's good for me to have a goal. I like the the challenge and the feeling of fit being fit. And, and I just love being a part of the triathlon community. So last year I did a half Ironman stateside in Oregon. And I'm really excited this year. I signed up for one um, that's in Washington state, which is my home state. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping my parents can come see me too. And so that, that, um, Ironman on each continent was that in one year? Did you accomplish that no, in one year? I over, no. over time. Over time, yeah. Yeah, okay. And with the pandemic, like everything shut down, obviously. Oh, yeah. So yeah, like I um I had done Africa, I had done a race in Morocco in 2019, and I was like, I only had one left to go. So I waited like you know a couple of years to to do my final race in Sydney to, to check off that last continent. Oh, that's awesome. Was there a favorite of all of the ones that you did? Um, I, so I, I don't know if I have a favorite, but, um, I have really good memories of all of them. I, I really, um, Morocco was really interesting. We did a half iron in Marrakesh and, um, it was the first year that they had run the race and it was absolutely <laughs> crazy. Um, they had like multiple points um, from a transition standpoint and we had to take a bus to, it was just, I felt like I was in the middle of nowhere and um, <laughs> like riding where there was like, like camels on the side of the road and like the road surface was a little iffy and it was just, it was very memorable. And then like you finish on like a racetrack. So it was mm. it's like, it had it all. Um, <laughs> And it was really neat to meet other athletes. Like that's one of my favorite parts of like doing these races and meeting other athletes in other countries. Um, 
and I've been able to stay in contact with a few of them. So it's pretty, pretty neat. And, and from obviously some of the accomplishments, uh, particularly with, with Kona, uh, you did a pretty uh, popular uh, TED talk oh. about overcoming, uh, the, you know, the obstacles and challenges of, of completing that. Um, did you uh, anticipate that uh, TED talk being as well re- as received as it was? No. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously an honor to to even be asked to 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 present, right? And mm-hmm. Ted Ted is like a huge stage, and I was so nervous. Um, but I was I am grateful for the opportunity to share my story because um, since like crossing that finish line in in Kona, like my world has changed in a very good way right now i feel like i can not only like share my own personal message of you know overcoming adversity and and going after goals because i feel like that is is very universal and it can apply to anyone um but i'm also able to like help raise awareness for a cause that i care about which is helping to end polio which is the disease that impacted me and so in my TED talk like I not only talk about like hey here's what I learned and and conquering this huge goal like the Iron Man but like we can also take these lessons and be inspired to to do more and um I use this like adage like hey like what's your Iron Man like what is your big goal and my big goal is to help be an advocate to raise awareness for a disease that many people may not be aware of mm-hmm. um, because it's important that we can get rid of vaccine preventable diseases. Yeah. And particularly in the U.S., most people aren't uh, familiar yes. with it. So I think it's a great educational awareness opportunity. And I know that you embarked on this book project that you yes. uh, called The Girl Who Figured It Out. And um, so the two-part question is, um, what what inspired or encouraged you to uh, kind of tell that, tell your story and share that your story through this book? And then I know the second part of that question is, I know the, the term figure it out has a particular meaning uh, for you. So I'd like to, you to kind of take us through both of those. Yeah. So um, thank you for that question. I am so excited. Um, my children's book is coming out and it's it's about my true story of being a paralyzed orphan in India to becoming an Ironman world champion. And, um, you know, writing this book really stems from my childhood. Um, I rarely saw stories with characters with disabilities. And um, now as a parent of a young daughter, uh, I remember looking for books for her when she was five. Like, you know, I noticed a similar absence. And so this is the book that I wrote is a story that I I sort of wish I had as a young child with a disability. And, um, you know, I it's interesting now being a mom. My daughter is nine. But, you know, when I first took her to kindergarten, I noticed that people were staring at us or actually she noticed it. Like people have always been staring at me, but now she's like, oh, mom, why are people staring at us? You know, and then people would ask us questions. It kind of made 
her uncomfortable. And the reality is, is like, you know, people may not have exposure to people who are different from them or may have, who look different, have a disability. And that's something that, you know, I think is important that people have exposure. And one way we can do that is through books, right? Like I've been inspired by hearing or reading other people's stories. And so I wanted to do the same by sharing my own and really normalize disability for young children. Yeah. And it goes back to our um, conversation around representation, right? So in the children's literature space, we need more books like this uh, particularly. And so, um, and go and going back to that figure it out um, oh, yeah. mant- mantra, if you will, that's kind of incorporated yes. into the book title. I know that has a has a special meaning for you, which is why the book was probably titled that. Yes. Um, well, so my parents, they um they really had a high expectations of me growing up. Um, they never let me feel like sorry for having a disability. And they always demonstrated that they believed in me, even though I had a disability. And whenever I'd have like ideas, they never dismissed them. I just remember my dad always saying, oh, you can do it, Minna, just figure it out. And I sort of think like that's a way that he was encouraging me and sort of demonstrating that he believed that I could like overcome any obstacle that comes my way um, and like being able to problem solve and, and just to figure it out on my own. And as, especially as a person with a disability, like I have to learn to adapt to the world around me. And so this phrase um, was something that he would always say to me. And, and so I thought it was perfect for my book because, you know, my book is about like overcoming like everyday challenges but I believe that, you know, if you have that mindset, like that figure out mindset, um, you can learn and do and achieve a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, in that, in that challenge of, you know, figure it out, uh, there's so many, there's so many kind of nuances or, or components of that. And, and as, as you mentioned, yes. challenge or accepting, you know, taking on the challenge, almost like self-confidence that you, you know, you can do it. And then also, um, you know, exploration, because in, in yes. order to figure it out, you have to explore, you have to, uh, you know, you have to, you know, kind of you maybe, maybe not get it right the first time, but, but right. still continue to, 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 to take upon that, that challenge of, of indeed figuring it out. And um, where is the book, you know, where's going to, where's the book going to be available? What, what what's kind of planned yeah. for the launch of the book? Yes. So um, the book is available on all major platforms for pre-sale right now, um, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, local booksellers. Um, it officially comes out on March 5th. And um, like I'm still working out details to try to visit different cities. Um, I'll be visiting my hometown um, in Spokane. I have organized some school visits and um, like the Phoenix, greater Phoenix area where I live. Um, Also New York, because I lived in New York for 20 plus years before having moved to Arizona. And um, I'll be um, going to a few um, librarian conferences. So um, everything is um, getting sorted out now, but I'm I'm super excited. Like uh, it, it, 
is something that I've been wanting to do is to share my story to a broader audience. Yeah, so I definitely encourage uh, listeners to to go and purchase a copy of The Girl Who Figured It Out. And and you mentioned a couple times, um, Minda, that you know, you, you got a bachelor's degree, you got a graduate degree that you've worked full time. Um, yes. You know, ha, tell, talk about that, the professional side of you, um, yes. because I think, again, there's there's stereotypes and stigmas around uh, individuals with disabilities um, that they're not in the workforce. I think as a person with a disability, like education is like the gateway for us, right? Like, I think um, I knew I always wanted to get a master's degree. I was very keen on it from the beginning. Um, working, I didn't have a choice. Like I had to like provide for myself. I wanted to live in the big city of New York. Um, I chose, uh, you know, I started out in management consulting. Um, I ended up um, switching over to, to education for a little while. Got my MBA. Um, now I've been working in the insurance space for um, gosh, like 15 plus years. The unemployment rate for people with disabilities is probably a lot higher than those who are not disabled. But I think especially at coming out of the pandemic, there are so many opportunities, especially remote, um, where we can shine and continue to show our value. And for me, like um, I've, I've really enjoyed having like working full time. I think mm-hmm. that that's just a part of who I am and what I do. Um, and sports is something that like is, is my passion or my joy outside of work and, and being a mom and a wife, that's obviously very important to me. And how, what lessons from sport have you been able to um, kind of learn that's helped? You know, I think sport is, a, can be a tool and a vehicle for a lot of other life's journeys. So how has sport helped you in, you know, other elements of your life? Oh my gosh. I think everything about goal achievement, um, I've learned, um, through sports, right. It's like being able to plan and prepare, um, making sure that you've, you know, you've ticked all the boxes. Um, so you become like you are ready for, you know, that challenge or, you know, for race day or even that big presentation at work. And then, you know, things aren't always going to go your way, right? Like you have to have the resolve and to be resilient when like you're, you're faced with challenges and, and you have thought through um, like how to deal with them like ahead of time, or even just having the confidence in yourself that like, you'll be able to get it done. You'll be able to push through when things get hard because they will get hard. And I feel like all of these lessons can be applicable, like not only in the workplace, but like, you know, even in your personal life too. 